0: The next day I talked to Miss Garber, went through the audition and got the part. Eddie, by the way, wasn't upset at all. In fact, I could tell he was actually relieved about the whole thing. When Miss Garber asked him if he'd be willing to let me play the role of Tom Thornton, his face sort of relaxed right there, and one of his eyes popped back open. Oh yes, absolutely, he said, stuttering. I understand. It took him practically 10 seconds to get the words out. For his generosity, however, Miss Kaiba gave him the role of the bum, and we knew he'd do fairly well in that role. The bum, you see, was completely mute, but the angel always knew what he was thinking. At one point in the play, she has to tell the mute that God always watches out for him because the God especially cares for the poor and downtrodden. That was one of the tip-offs to the audience that she'd been sent from the heaven. Like I said earlier, Hegbert wanted it to be real clear who offered redemption and salvation and it's certain not going to be few rickety ghosts who just popped out of nowhere. Rehearsals started the next week and we rehearsed in the classroom because the playhouse wouldn't open their doors for us until we get all the little bugs out of our performance. By little bugs, I mean a tendency to accidentally knock over the props. The props had been made about 15 years ago, and the play was in its first year by Toby Bush, a sort of roaming handyman who had done a few projects for the playhouse in the past. He was a handy handyman because he drank beer all day long while he worked. And by about 2 o'clock or so, he'd be really flying. I guess he couldn't see straight because he'd accidentally whack his fingers with the hammer at least once a day. Whenever that happened, he'd throw down a hammer and jump up and down, holding his fingers, cursing everyone from his mother to the devil. When he finally calmed down, he'd have another beer to soothe the pain before going back to work. His knuckles were the size of walnuts, permanently swollen from years of whacking, and no one was willing to hire him on a permanent basis. The only reason Hegbert had hired him at all was because he was far and away the lowest bidder in the town. But Hegbert wouldn't allow drinking or cursing, and Toby really didn't know how to work within such a strict environment. As a result, the work was kind of sloppy, though it wasn't obvious out of the bat. After a few years, the props began to fall apart and Hickbert took it upon himself to keep the things together, but while Hickbert was good at thumping the Bible, he wasn't too good at thumping the nails. And the props had bent, rusty nails sticking out all over, poking through the plywood in so many places that we had to be careful to walk exactly where we were supposed to. If we bumped them the wrong way. We'd either cut ourselves or the props would topple over, making little nail holes all over the stage's floor. After a couple of years, the playhouse stage had to be resurfaced, And though they couldn't exactly close their doors to Hegbert, they made a deal with him to be more careful in the future. That meant we had to practice in the classroom until we worked with the little perks. Fortunately, Hegbert wasn't involved with the actual production of the play. Because all of this ministering duties, that role fell into Miss Carver, and the first thing she told us was to memorize the lines as quickly as possible. We didn't have as much as time we usually allotted for the rehearsals, because Thanksgiving came on the last possible day in November, and Hickbert didn't want the play to be performed too close to Christmas, so as not to interfere with its true meaning. That left us only with three weeks to get the play just right. Which was about a week shorter than usual. The rehearsals began at 3 o'clock and Jamie knew all her lines. The first day, there. Which wasn't really surprising. What was surprising was that she knew all my lines too, as well as everyone else's. We'd be going over a scene, she'd be doing it without the script and I'd be looking down at the stack of pages trying to figure out what my next nine should be. And whenever I looked up, she had this real shiny look about her, as if waiting for a burning bush or something. The only nines I knew were the mute bumps, at least on the first day. And all of a sudden, I was actually envious of Eddie, at least in that regard. This was going to be a lot of work, well exactly what I expected when I signed up for the class. My noble feelings about doing the play had worn off by the second day of rehearsals. Even though I knew I was doing the right thing, my friends didn't understand it at all and they'd be riding me since they found out. You're doing what? Eric asked when he learned about it. You're doing the play with Jamie Sullivan? I wouldn't say, not just plain stupid. I sort of mumbled that I had a good reason but he wouldn't let it drop and he told everyone around us. That I had a crush on her. I denied it of course, which just made them assume it was true, and then laugh all the louder and tell the next person they saw. The stories kept getting wilder, too by lunchtime I heard from Sally that I was thinking of getting engaged. I actually think Sally was jealous about it. She had a crush on me for years, and the feeling might have been mutual except for the fact that she had a glass eye and there was something I just couldn't ignore. Her bad eye reminded me of something you'd see stuffed into head of a mounted owl in a tacky antique shop. And to be honest, it sort of gave me the willies. I guess that was when I started to resent Jamie again. I know it wasn't her fault, but I was the one who was taking the arrows for Egbert, who hadn't exactly gone out of his way the night of homecoming to make me feel welcomed. I began to stumble through my lines in the class for the next few days, not really even attempting to learn them. And occasionally, I'd crack a joke or two, which everyone laughed at, except for Jamie and Miss Carber. After rehearsal was over, I'd head home to put the play out of my mind and I wouldn't even bother to pick up the script. Instead I'd joke with my friends about the weird things Jamie did and tell Fibs about how it was Miss Carver who had forced me into the whole thing. Jamie, though, wasn't going to let me off that easy. No, she got me right where it hurts, right smack in the old ego. I was out with Eric on Saturday night following Bufford's third consecutive state championship in football, about a week after rehearsals had started. We were hanging out at the waterfront outside of the Cecil's dinner, eating hush puppies and watching people cruise in the car, when I saw Jamie walking down the street. She was still a hundred yards away, turning her head from side to side. Wearing that old brown feathered cane and carrying her Bible in one hand, it must have been nine o'clock or so, which was late for her to be out, and it was even stranger to see her in this part of the town. I turned my back to her and pulled the collar up on my jacket, but even Margaret, who had a banana pudding where her brain should have been, was smart enough to figure out who she was looking for. London, your girlfriend is here. She's not my girlfriend, I said. I don't have a girlfriend. Your fiance then? I guess she'd talk to Sally too. I'm not engaged, I said. Now knock it off. I glanced over my shoulders to see if she spotted me, and I guess she had. She was walking towards us. I pretend not to notice. Here she comes, Marguerite said, and giggled. I know, I said. Twenty seconds later she said it again. She's still coming. I told her she was quick. I know I said to her, if it wasn't for her legs, she could almost drive you as crazy as Jamie. I glanced around again, and this time, Jamie knew I'd seen her, and he smiled and waved at me. I turned away, and a moment later, she was standing right beside me. Hello, Landon, she said to me, oblivious of my scorn. Hello, Eric, Margaret. She went around the group. Everyone sort of mumbled hello. And tried not to stare at the Bible Eric was holding a beer and he moved it behind his back so she wouldn't see it Jamie could even make Eric feel guilty if she was close enough to him they'd been neighbors at one time and Eric had been receiving end of her talks before behind her back he called her the salvation lady an obvious reference to the Salvation Army she would have been the Brigadier General he'd like to say but when she was standing right in front of him. It was another story. In his mind, she had an in with the cord and he didn't want her to be in the bed graces. How are you doing Eric? I haven't seen you around much recently. She said it's as if she still talked to him all the time. He shifted from one foot to the other, looked at his shoes, playing that guilty look for all it was worth. Well, I haven't been to the church lately, he said. Jimmy smiled that prettily smile. Well, that's okay, I suppose, as long as it does not become a habit or anything. It won't. Now I've heard of a confession, that thing when Catholics sit behind a screen and tell the priest about all their sins and that's the way Eric was when he was next to Jamie. For a second I thought he was going to call her ma'am. You want a beer? Margaret asked. I think she was trying to be funny, but no one laughed. Jamie put her hand onto the hair, tugging gently at a bun. Oh. No, not really, thank you though. She looked directly at me, with a really sweet glow, and right away I knew I was in trouble. I thought she was going to ask me off to the side or something, which to be honest, I thought would turn out better, but I guess that wasn't in her plans. Well, you did really well this week at rehearsals, she said to me. I know you've got a lot of lines to learn, but I'm sure you're going to get them all real soon. And I just wanted to thank you for volunteering like you did. You are a real gentleman. Thanks, I said. A little knot forming in my stomach. I tried to be cool, but all my friends were looking right at me. Suddenly wondering if I'd be telling them the truth about Miss of forcing it on me and everything. I hope they missed it. Your friends should be proud of you, Simi added, putting the thought to the rest. Oh, we are, Eric said, pronouncing very proud. He's a good guy, that Landon. What with his volunteering and all, oh no. Jamie smiled at him, then turned back to me again, her old cheerful self. I also wanted to tell you that if you need any help, you can come by any time, we can sit on the porch like we did before, and go over your lines if you need to. I saw Eric mouth the words, like we did before, to Margaret. This really wasn't going well at all. By now, the pit in my stomach was as big as Paul Bunyan's bowling bowl. That's okay, I mumbled, wondering how much I could swarm my way out of this. I can learn them at home. Well, sometimes it helps if someone there is to read with you. Landon, Eric offered to me. I told you, he'd stick it to me even though he was my friend. No, really, I said to him. I'll learn my lines on my own. Maybe, Eric said smiling. You two should practice in front of the orphans once you've got it down a little better. Sort of a dress rehearsal, you know? I'm sure they'd love to see it. You could practically see Jamie's mind start clicking at the mention of the word, orphans. Everyone knew what her hot button was. Do you think so? She asked. Eric nodded seriously. I'm sure of it. Landon was the one who thought of it first, but I know that if I was an orphan, I'd love something like that, even if it wasn't exactly the real thing. Me too, Margaret chimed in. As they spoke, the only thing I could think about was the scene from Julius Caesar where Brutus stabs him back in the back. Etto, Eric! It was Landon's idea? she asked, furrowing her brow. She looked at me and I could tell she was still mewling it all over. But Eric wasn't about to let me off the hook that easy. Now that he had me flopping on the deck, the only thing left to do was cut me. You'd like to do that, wouldn't you, Landon? he said. Helping the offense, I mean. It wasn't exactly something you could answer no to, was it? I reckon so. And I said under my breath staring at my best friend. Eric, despite the middle class he was in, would have been one hell of a chess player. Mm, good, then it's all settled. That's if it's okay with you, Jamie. His smile was so sweet, it could have been flavored half the RC Cola in the county. Well, yes. I suppose I'll have to talk to Ms. Garber and the director of the orphanage, but if they say it's okay, I think it would be a fine idea." And the thing was, you could tell she was really happy about it. Checkmate. The next day I spent 14 hours memorizing my lines, cursing my friends and wondering how my life had spun out of a control. My senior year certainly wasn't turning out the way I thought it would have when it began. But if I had to perform for a bunch of orphans, I certainly didn't want to look like an idiot.